And so uh, I want us to turn to Joshua chapter 24. And again, here we're going to see in the Bible how people make choices. A biblical direction to make choices and and, and the uh, surrounding circumstances of that. In Joshua 24, verse 15, it says, uh, and and now let me set the context, then we'll begin reading. Uh, Joshua has called the nation of Israel together. He is old. They have entered the promised land. They have won many victories. Not all the victories they should have won. Most of the major battles were over. And so Joshua is in the process of challenging the nation of Israel to make a choice. Verse 15, and if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell, but as for me and my house... We will serve the Lord. And the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God, he it is that brought us up and our fathers out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. And which did those great signs in our sight and preserved us all in the way wherein we went and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drave out from before us all the people, even the Amorites which dwelt in the land. Therefore will we also serve the Lord, for he is our God. And Joshua said unto the people, Ye cannot serve the Lord, for he is an holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. If ye forsake the Lord and serve strange gods, then he will turn and do you hurt and consume you after that he hath done you good. And the people said unto Joshua, Nay, but we will serve the Lord. And Joshua said unto the people, Ye are witnesses against yourselves that ye have chosen you, the Lord, to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. Now, therefore, put away, said he, the strange gods which are among you, and incline your heart unto the Lord God of Israel. And the people said unto Joshua, The Lord our God will we serve, and his voice will we obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day, and set them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem. Let's read one more verse. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God and took a great stone and set it up under an oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said unto all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness unto us, for it hath heard all the words of the Lord which he spake unto us. It shall be therefore a witness unto you, lest ye deny your God. So, here is what we have. Joshua realizes that his time on earth is limited. His time as the leader, the general of the armies of Israel. 
Most of the armies have gone back to their tribes. And so Joshua calls a national meeting. They meet at the tabernacle, which at this point is in Shechem. And Joshua says, there is a choice. You've got to make a choice what you're going to do. And he gives them three different choices here. He says, you can serve the God of your fathers on the other side of the flood. And uh, that is generally understood to be talking about before Abraham, the flood being the Euphrates River. And they could choose to serve those ancient gods. They were in Israel 430 years. Abraham had left Ur of the Chaldees probably another 50 years before that. So, I mean, we're talking about going back over 500 years of history at this point. That pretty well qualifies for being ancient. And said, if you want to go back to the ancient gods, you can serve them. You live in the land that God has given you. We call it the land of Israel. It says, but there were false gods in this land, the gods of the Amorites. You push the Amorites out of the land, you can choose to serve those gods if you will. Or you can choose to serve the God of heaven. Now, the first thing we have to understand is, and, and I'm not trying to be trite here, a choice that is not a choice isn't a choice. You have to have more than one option, more than one alternative to make a choice. How many times have you gone into the supermarket and they have all these uh uh, well, Thanksgiving is coming up. Let's pick on turkeys for a minute. You go there and there is a whole row of turkeys. Everyone's the same brand. How many of you go looking through the turkey, see if you can find something different than what's on there? You just say, it can't all be one. I want a choice. I mean, if there was just one Something different in there. I want to look at it and I want to feel it and I want to compare it. But if everything is all the same, you kind of feel cheated, don't you? They tell us in the former Soviet Union, you had to vote. If you did not vote, you were in trouble. But as you went into the polling place, you only had one choice for each position. And they made a big deal about how people voted. And by the way, if you did a write-in, there were some people waiting for you out back. Because they knew who you are, and they knew what you voted. And... You would get roughed up. You might lose your job. You might get hauled off to a concentration camp. This is what happened. You see, God is not the supreme dictator. 
He has not said, I am the only choice, therefore you must choose me. He has always given mankind the opportunity to choose something else. Now, let me ask you a question. Every time mankind or individuals in mankind has chose something else, has chose to disobey the God of this book called the Bible, was it to their benefit or was it to their hurt? It was always to their hurt. You see, this is what God means when he says the wages of sin is death. In the book of James, he puts it this way. Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. And there's not a sin that you that the Bible calls sin that isn't somehow connected to death. You pick any sin you want. It is connected to death one way or another. Because sin destroys. One of the biggest lies we have going out there today is I should have freedom to do what I want because I'm not hurting anyone else. They say that I should have freedom to choose because it's my body. But what about the baby that is choose to be killed? And what about the desensitization of our society to life by the opportunity to choose to kill? You know, the advocates for abortion in the late 60s and early 70s said abortion ought to be legal because it will stop child abuse. It will stop unwanted children from being born into families uh, or to uh, parts of families, to individuals that don't want these children and they won't take care of them. Do you know that is a huge lie? Child abuse has gone up in the thousands of percentiles since the late 60s and early 70s. And by the way, the number of children that were killed in the womb is well over 50 million at this point. That's two metropolitan New York City areas died before they were even had a chance to be born. And yet, child abuse is way, way up. And the degree of abuse is far beyond our understanding. That a man like Jerry Sandusky could do what he did. Where he did it. In the 1950s, that wasn't even heard of in our nation. Oh, I'm sure it existed somewhere, but not to the degree that it does today. You see, God allows mankind to make a choice. And you can choose which God you will serve. But the second part that we got to get a hold of today is when you make a choice, there are consequences to that choice. There are things that will necessarily happen because of the choice that you make. 
So I believe it was uh, one of the quote-unquote great thinkers of many years ago. His name was Kant. And what he wanted to do was he wanted to put a separation between cause and effect. Let me illustrate. If another human being were standing before me, and I decided to take my hand and put it into a fist and hit him as hard as I could in the middle of the face, right here in the nose. And all of a sudden there's blood streaming down his face and he is making noise and pain. The pain in the blood would not necessarily be caused by my blow to the face. Now, how many of you believe that? Good. You haven't been to psychology class at college yet. You haven't been taught to think a way that is contrary to human history. You cannot separate cause and effect. When you do things, other things must necessarily follow. Are we together on that point? I mean, did that astound anyone that I said that this morning? Yet in certain parts of this country, in certain areas, that would be an amazing discovery to them. Have you ever heard anybody say, but preacher, that's your truth? That's Mr. Kant raising his ugly head again. If you have truth that belongs to you, it's not truth. Truth is self evident. It doesn't need to be proved. And so here are the consequences that Joshua reinstates. And by the way, it's an interesting study, and we're not going to take much time to go over this this morning. But the reasons the children of Israel give as to following God, he took our fathers and us out of the land of Egypt. He showed mighty wonders which we had seen. He's done all these good things for us. Therefore, we'll follow God. I want to challenge you. That's not the right reason for following God. Because when great tragedy happens, who's the first one that gets blamed? Well, God does. And you know, there are people all over the world that will not serve the God of the Bible because he let a storm like the hurricane that came through this past week and people were injured and had to do without food and, and people died and all of these things. And how can God be good and let bad things happen? Let me tell you something. God is always good. He is never anything but good. And someone says, well, what about when bad things happen? Well... Let me ask you a question. The Bible says that he can make all things work together for good to them that love him, to them who are the called according to his purpose. The question is, are you willing to let God work? Are you really willing to remain in love with God? Are you willing to remain called according to his purpose? Then you must let him be in charge of the circumstance. If you only serve God because of good circumstances, let me tell you, there's something's going to happen you're not going to agree with. 
And as we will find out later in the message, you will find out that you never truly chose the God of this Bible. But here's Joshua's objections here. Verse 19, number one, ye cannot serve the Lord for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. Now, how many of you pick up on an apparent contradiction in the scriptures? Okay, I saw two heads go like this. How about the rest of you? How many of you saw that? It says, he will not forgive your sins. Isn't that contrary to everything we understand in the Bible? But is that what Joshua was saying? God will not forgive your sins? Here's what Joshua was saying. God will judge your sins. In fact, God will judge your sins first because you choose to be his people. Let me just read a verse. You can look it up later. First Peter chapter four, verse 17 says, for the time has come. The judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? God says, listen, I'm going to judge my people first. I'm going to judge them while they're still here on earth. How many of you have ever done something wrong? And you ask God to forgive you, and you still got in trouble for it. Did that happen? How many of that? Am I the only one that's ever happened to? Okay, there we go. Uh, if you can't be honest in church, where are you going to be honest? Amen? That's what Joshua's talking about. When you choose to disobey God in your daily life, and not a one of us here hasn't done that since we've been saved, there's still going to be things that happen to us. And you know what people do? They get mad at God because he punishes us for doing something wrong. Could I explain to you that if you have chosen God to be your Savior, his first priority, his first duty in your life is trying to prepare you to enjoy heaven for all eternity. And if you're wrapped up in the things of this world, and if your chief enjoyment is, is Hollywood and, and learning all these uh, sore details about these reprobate human beings that call themselves stars, how are you going to be able to worship God in heaven? Are you going to go, well, these angels are powerful beings, but they're not nearly as good as the cyborgs were in the movies. You know, I could see somebody saying something like that. God is trying to get a hold of your mind and your heart to unwrap it from the things of this world. You know, if God let some of these people into heaven, you know what the first thing they'd be doing? They'd get out of picking a shovel and try to dig up the golden street so they could take it to the bank and put it in their bank account. 
There's some brainchild trying to be figure how to cut down the pearly gates and how many necklaces and rings and, and pieces of jewelry they could hawk in, in heaven. Let me tell you, God does all of those fantastic things in the new Jerusalem to prove to you and show you how worthless these things are compared to being in the presence of a holy God. Does that help you see the difference? You see, when you make a choice, it has consequences. God is holy. You cannot serve God because you're not holy. If you want holiness in your life, how do you get it? Yeah, I'll answer that. You've got to go to God and ask Him for it. At least He had the right answer. Amen. Holiness is something you must get from God. How many of you have ever tried to stop sin on your own? Does it work? Uh Uh-uh. You see, you can't get holiness from yourself. You've got to go to God. Even AA figured this out, Alcoholics Anonymous. They say, listen, you don't have to admit that there's a God. Uh, You don't have to give him a name. All you have to do is submit to your higher power. And you know what? Just the realization that there is something out there bigger than you has helped thousands of men and women stop drinking alcohol. But it will not get you one step closer to God. Because you got to understand his name is Jesus. His name is I am. He is the God of heaven. And God will judge all sin. Brother Franz was touching on this many times in our Sunday school this morning. Do you know why God sometimes doesn't judge people's sin? Because they're not his children. I hope you don't try to punish other people's children. That belongs to their parents. Amen? Now, I try to take care of my children every once in a while. They'll, they'll make noise and mess and all kinds of stuff because they're children. That's what children do. Now, if Peter did that, we'd have an issue. Amen? But when Jason does it, we understand there's more training that is needed. Amen? And the same with every child that sits. We, we need to have patience. Because those parents are trying hard. You know what? God is trying even more diligently to get you in line. That's why the writer of Hebrews tells us not to be discouraged when we feel God's chastening hand. Because he loves us and he's trying to shape us and mold us and prepare us for heaven. How many of you want to be ready when you get to heaven? 
Well, you better let God work on you while you're here on earth. He's got to separate your heart and your desires from the things of this world. It is natural for us to be wrapped up in what's going on where we can see. It is totally unnatural to be wrapped up in the things of God. I've been accused of being so heavenly minded that I'll be no earthly good. Of course, you know my retort. I'd rather be that a hundred times over than to be so earthly minded that I'm no heavenly good. Because when I get to heaven, I'm going to be there a whole lot longer than I'm going to be here. You see, Joshua was trying to tell the people, children of Israel, the nation of Israel. You can't serve God. He's holy. He's not going to just pretend that what you did never happened. There's going to be judgment in your life when you disobey him. And you're not going to like it. But if you'll choose to serve God, as we go through the rest of the Bible, we find out that God wants to give us his holiness. But that only comes as we surrender to him. That only comes as we willfully obey God. You see, if you can turn from God, or we might just use the word today, unchoose God, deselect him, you never chose him as your God, honestly and truly. Because when you choose the God of this book called the Bible, Jesus said, I give unto them what? Eternal life. Now that word eternal simply means without ending. With no end in sight. If God were able to stop eternal life, would it be eternal? No. It wouldn't be. It would be conditional on God. And God has said, I give unto them eternal life. Now let me ask you, are you stronger than God? No, of course not. But if God can't stop it, How do you think you're going to stop it? Doesn't that come border on blasphemy of God? Hello? Yeah? Isn't it true? I mean, we got to think about these things. But when I tell God that I don't want him anymore, that I've had enough of him, that I don't care. And by the way, If you really felt that way, do you think you would take time to explain to God about all that? Uh, Let me tell you, you wouldn't. I've had many people struggling over the years and they say, Pastor, I just I just don't feel like I'm saved. I I feel like I've lost my salvation somehow and and I'm not not serving God. and, And well, why are you in church at all if you really feel that way? Well, it's because I want to be close to God somehow. Well, wait a minute. Could it not be the Holy Spirit of God trying to make you uncomfortable with what you're doing so that you can be more prepared for heaven 
rather than God going back on his word, which he cannot do? Amen? You see, God wants to save you. He's not sitting there in heaven going, well, Job prayed, asked me to save him, but he didn't quote Romans chapter 10, verse 13, every word he missed. He missed the third word, so therefore, no deal. He lose. That's not the God of the Bible. That's the devil. Because if you can doubt your salvation, guess what? You can't serve God. Because you're not holy. Because you're too busy doubting God to receive His holiness. That's what faith is. When you make a choice on, by, based on faith in God's Word, you have got to let God do the saving. This is what John 1.12 says, But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. That's how simple it is. It's so simple. Jesus said you must be converted and become as a little child. Because we adults, we think too hard. We try too hard. Because we want somehow to earn what God wants to give. Salvation is a choice. There are consequences to choices. If you choose the God of this Bible, I want to challenge you something. He will be your father in every sense of the word. A father that cares for his children. It doesn't matter if they're five months or 50 years old. A father who cares for his children will come along beside them and say, we got a problem here. We need to straighten this thing out. Because he cares. But once a child reaches a certain age, they have to make choices on their own. But I would be being negligent as a father not to give information that is in this book called the Bible to my children. Amen? So why should God the Father do anything less? And by the way, we should be there to commend when they're doing right. But if you're doing right by God, how are you doing that right? How are you obeying God? It's because you've already been to Him and asked Him for the strength to do that. So he might not just be there to slap you on the back and pat you on the shoulder and say, good job, you really did it right this time. Why? Because you already been there and you already asked him for the strength to do it. And he just answered your prayer. It's your job to go to God and say, thank you for giving me what I needed to obey you. Not waiting for God to pat you on the shoulder and tell you you did a good job. Amen. Hello? This is serious stuff this morning. 
You see, Joshua knew something about choices. A real choice is not just a one-time event. It's a daily proposition. Over 24 years ago, best illustration I can give you, I put on this ring. You know, I made a choice. It was real easy for me to make. That wasn't tough. She said, yes. I'm going, you betcha. It is God's will. Do you know that if I honestly made that choice over 24 years ago to marry my wife, the best way for me to keep that decision, that choice, is to re-choose every day? That's why the Bible says, Husbands, dwell with your wives according to knowledge. Uh, you, you need to be there. The greatest gift a father can give his children is to love their mother. You can't do that over the telephone. You can't do that by long distance. You need to be there. The greatest gift a mother can give her children is to love their father. And when two people will do that, But let me tell you, if it's going to work, you got to remake that decision every day. You say, well, what do you mean? You you sit there and you question? No, I've never questioned whether I should be married to my wife. By remaking the decision, what I'm simply saying is I affirm that I made the right choice. You know what? If you don't do that, the devil will tempt you to start looking in other directions. I mean, I'm glad my wife puts up with me. Let me tell you something. We're not always perfect, now are we? Every one of us are hard to get along with at times. You need to reaffirm that decision. Somebody said, well, my my husband's unsaved or my wife is unsaved. The Bible says if they're content to dwell with you, you're supposed to stay with them. Hopefully, you'll bring them to the knowledge of the Savior by your love for Jesus and your love for that person. Amen? Does that mean it's going to be easy? No. And unfortunately, divorce does happen sometimes. But it doesn't happen. It happens way too often. Just leave that there. You see, Joshua told the children of Israel, if you're going to choose God, you're going to affirm that, number one. Look at verse 23. Now, therefore... 
Put away, said he, the strange gods which are among you, and incline your heart unto the Lord God of Israel. Do you know that at this point, as Joshua had called the children of Israel together, that there were people standing in that group that were worshiping false gods of the Amorites in the land? And he said, you're going to have to get rid of the false gods if you choose to serve God. There are consequences. There are things you're going to have to do. But let me tell you something. This choice to get rid of the other gods is a daily choice. That's why Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, you cannot serve two masters. You're going to cling to the one. Let me read it here. No man can serve masters for he will hate the one. For either he will hate the one and love the other. Or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot serve this world. You cannot compete in the rat race and serve God at the same time. You cannot have the same goals and serve God at the same time. A choice is going to change the way you live. There was a covenant that was made to remember. He took and he set up a pillar and he wrote all those words down. It tells us here that Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. That's why we have the book of Joshua. He took the books that Moses had and he put an addition on the end of those books. And we're reading that addition. He was influenced and under the leadership of the Holy Spirit of God. And a stone was set up and they wrote those words on the stone. It's interesting. They said, this stone here has heard these words. And we're going to mark this stone that all that will come after us will know that these things were true. Do you know the most difficult job that we have is to teach one another what God has done in our lives, especially those of the next generation? How does someone get added to the Open Door Bible Baptist Church? Well, normally it's because somebody gave you a little invitation from our church. Or maybe you found out about our church on the web. Or maybe you looked us up in the yellow pages. Somehow you found out about our church and you come. And one of the first things I I tell people if they say, well, I'm coming from such and such a church. I I want you to know that our church is different. We're, We're not like other churches. Well, what's the difference? Well, every church claims to teach the word of God. Otherwise, why would you go? The only way you're going to find out that we're different is if you come and hear the Word of God taught over and over and over again. Uh, Back a few weeks, we spent some time on the Great Commission. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. I want to challenge you this last point here. 
the stone was set up to reaffirm the covenant. Not only to the generation that set the stone up, but for generations to follow. So that they could read and learn and hear of these words and see the choice that was made that they may follow in that choice. One of the greatest problems we face today is people who grew up in church and yet choose not to follow the things of the Word of God. Now, I will tell you, there are reasons why people choose not to follow God. Most of it has to deal with their teachers. It's a scary thing to live in this world, to take the responsibility to follow God, knowing that other people are watching you and their relationship with God is going to be determined by the things that you do. No human being is perfect. Every one of us sin. But if there's anything that could be said of me in my life, I would like it to be said that I love the Word of God and taught it. You say, well, what about people? Well, the Bible tells me if I teach you the Word of God, I am caring and loving you. It's not the warm, mushy-gushy, fuzzy stuff that goes on for love in this world. But you see, I made a choice. I made a choice to be saved on August 28th, 1977. I made a choice to follow the Lord and become a preacher when I was only 16 years old. I made a choice to surrender to the Lord and move to New York City and start a church in 1985. In 1992, we held our first service. By God's grace, still here. You know why? Because I made a choice to follow the Lord. And that choice had ramifications. And I had to realize that it wasn't dependent upon me or my wisdom. And if you know anything about the history of our church, you know that it has nothing to do with my wisdom. Somebody said, well, you, you picked the perfect time to buy a building. No, I didn't pick it. God did. Uh, I, I, I'm, somebody, one preacher said, well, Pete Montoro's good at two things. He can drive buses and he can raise money. And, and I said, well, drive bus maybe, but raise money. No, God did that. I'm not taking credit for that. I know. I, I know how many people I talked to. They didn't send anything. It was the people I didn't talk to that sent the money. <laughs> Explain that to me, please. Well, somebody else was talking. I believe it was the Holy Spirit of God. And he raised what we need. And Joshua got up before the children of Israel and he said, You can make your choice, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. That's what we need today. We need to make a choice. 
not one of these whimsy, uh, flimsy is the word, whimsical, without thought. Well, you know, God's good, and, and I kind of feel nice, and Jesus has done a lot of nice things for me, so I'll serve him. Wrong. Absolutely wrong, my friend. You must believe that God is good before you can come to him. But that goodness has to be based on the fact that he is God and nothing else. Amen? Because God will do things to you that will not feel good. I promise you that. But he's trying to get you fit for heaven. Surrender to him. You say, how can I know I'm surrendering to God? It was like a young man came to me and he said, I've been praying and praying. And he said, today I feel like I ought to marry her. And then he'd come back to me a week later and he says, I've been praying and praying. I feel like I ought not to marry her. So which voice do I believe? By the way, you wouldn't know this person. It's not somebody here, all right? Somebody says, was that Peter? No. <laughs> Had to chain him down until the wedding day. Simple truth of the matter is, he was confused. Where does confusion come from? The devil. You know what I told him? I said, both voices are wrong. Well, how can both voices be wrong? One says yes, the other says no. I said, you shouldn't be listening to voices, my friend. Get into the Word of God. Go out and be obedient to the Word of God. And God will confirm His decisions for your life. I found my wife serving God. It was the very things that I was doing to serve God that caused her to start looking in my direction. We don't have time for all those stories today. But here's what I want you to leave with. If you have truly chosen the God of this book, then you will willfully reject the things that God rejects. We have a lot of candidates that will say, well, I'm a religious person and I don't believe personally in abortion, but I vote for every abortion bill that comes across my desk because I've got to represent the people that I represent. I know there's no sign for that, but we call it hooky pooky. Absolute insanity. And if you're trying to figure out how that translates into another language, it doesn't. That's a real American thing. I mean, you just, uh, the closest would probably be garbage. But if you really choose God, you're going to reject the things that God rejects. Otherwise, you haven't chosen the God of the Bible. If you will truly choose God, you must receive his judgment for your sins in this life. Because he's correcting you and preparing you for heaven. Amen? Amen. 
And if you can just reject God and His Word and turn it off and say, I really don't care and I really don't want it anymore. I tried that and it doesn't work. The Bible says you've never chosen Him in the first place. You were only pretending. Because once you choose Him, He chooses you. And He will never let you go. Even if we believe not, He abideth faithful. He cannot deny His own. The question is, have you chosen God? You know, I can't understand somebody who say, well, I've chosen God. And they won't get wet in the baptistry. I, I don't understand that. I can't understand somebody who says, well, I've chosen God and I know what the Bible says, but I've got these things going on inside and I just can't, I just can't agree with what the Bible says. Let me tell you, if you've chosen God, you've got to agree with His Word. All of it. You can't make an exception. I don't care how much sense it makes to you. It's got to be God. That's what the choice means. And when God shows up to make us uncomfortable because we've been disobedient, say, yes, Lord, and you'll move forward. Say, no, Lord, and he'll put you on hold. I like what one preacher said, when God puts you on hold, he doesn't play nice music either. But he's willing to wait. He has all eternity. You've only got this time in mortal flesh. But once you choose God, He will change you. All God's people say. Dear Heavenly Father,